All right, and welcome back to another episode of the Lion's Guide podcast. Happy to have you here, and if this is your first time here, hey, welcome. If you're here again, welcome back. Uh, about the Lion's Guide podcast, hey, we're here to empower you to be a lifelong leader by exploring the stories of our guests and the lessons they've learned and also other interview other subject matter experts and review books and other resources. All of this is designed to bring you some more insights and perspectives to help you establish clarity, have courage, and lead the way. I'm your host, Dale Walls, founder of Lions Guide. And on this episode, I've got Mr. Gareth Pickering. And Gareth is an artist and a thought leader, and he's he's really inspired to have conversations that create, you know, connections and unlock courage so that we can access our really infinite potential, as he calls it. Uh, he's an Ironman and ultra marathon runner, a son, a brother, and he's all about accessing and integrating really all levels of our human technology so that we can stand confidently in the world, connected to the stars and grounded with the earth. He's a the founder of um, a men's community called Father, Sons, Brothers and creator of the Call to Courage podcast. So today, you know, we're both talk a lot about courage in our journey. So in this episode, we really dive into Gareth's journey and his various adventures, it really to find himself, find his potential and ultimately find the joy in his life. It's it's a really wild chat. And it's a lot of fun. You're gonna love it. So uh, before we get started, if you like the sound of that, if you haven't before, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our other great guests and content. And as always, the podcast is sponsored by Lions Guide, and we're out there, you know, creating value. We're we're here to build lifelong leaders. So if you're enjoying the show, uh, you'll really enjoy all the other content we've got out there on LionsGuide.com and the free member community. Uh, we call it the Pride, and it's no cost to you. You get access to all kinds of free exclusive content to include the yet to be yet to be released uh, episodes of the podcast. I got reading lists out there. You know, we do live uh, virtual training events. Um, we've got the private group in the different social platforms uh, so that you can engage with other growth minded members of the community and a whole lot more. So, again, joining the pride is free and I'm developing all of that to help you break out of your rut and or break through to the next best version of yourself again, by establishing clarity, building up your courage, and enabling you to be the true leader of your life. So go check it out now. Go to lionsguide.com and join today. With that said, let's start the show. guys today on the podcast we've got mr gareth pickering who is founder of father sons brothers uh what's it community it's a community right that you i call it a tribe but it's a community in some ways yeah a community of yeah men. yeah 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 so so you got it the father sons brothers community of men and also co-host of the call to courage podcast and gareth's got a a long list of really impressive accomplishments, which I'm not going to take the next five minutes to list them yet. We're going to get to it. But uh, Gareth, man, hey, happy to have you on. We met, I think, networking on LinkedIn or or something out there. And then uh, we we talked real quick and recognized that we're, we're singing off the same sheet of music around courage and, you know, what we're working towards and all that stuff. So uh, we quickly got, got on schedule to do this. So, hey, welcome to the show. Give us a quick uh, little bit of who you are and what you do. 
Thanks, Dale. It's really good to be here. Yeah, when I was my transition into men's work and the Call to Courage podcast had me taking a look to see who else was in the space, and that's how I came across your work and then found your um, your courses and your online community. So, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I live in Guatemala at a place called Lake Atitlan, and uh, we're actually having something called Feria, which is like the celebration of our village. So there might be some fireworks that you hear in the background, and uh, there's also some construction noise, such as the the life of living in Guatemala. But uh, I'm really excited to be here and to dive into some of the similarities and um, the uniqueness of our individual journeys. And cool to hang out with you again, bro. Thanks for having me. Yeah, ditto, ditto. The um, I guess let's start there for a minute because um. We talked about this when we first met, like Guatemala, what, what attracted you there culturally? Like why, how, how are you in, how do you come to come to be in Guatemala? So I am, um, I'd been traveling for about five years um, after going through the sort of existential midlife crisis of sorts in South Africa, where I'm from Johannesburg. I went out on the road. I spent some time in India, Thailand, Sri Lanka. I traveled quite a bit of Asia. And then decided to do a stint in Latin America, and my first stop was Guatemala. So I spent a couple, probably about two months here, then traveled to Costa Rica, did Mexico, a couple of other Central American countries. And after about six years of being on the road almost full-time and living just out of my backpack, I was at this place where I really wanted to unpack and stop moving as much as I had. My The early part of my travels, I'd been doing you know, a country every couple of weeks and moving it pretty quickly. And that was, it was good when it started. And then it started to be like, okay, I don't need to see as many places. I could drop into a culture and spend some time here. And I initially thought that I was going to be uh, settling in a place called Oaxaca City in Mexico. And uh, I came to Lake Atitlan, which is in Guatemala, where I now live, for the second time for a New Year's festival three and a half years ago. And, uh, yeah, I just came back to this little village of San Marcos where I now live. And I was like, you know, Oaxaca City was amazing and I still love it. But there was just a better access to nature, more beauty, living on a lake. Um, where I live, Lake Atitlan, is essentially inside a caldera. So it's got seven volcanoes around it and the lake in the middle. And yeah, it's epically beautiful. And I just fell in love with the place. And a couple, within a couple of weeks of being here, I also fell in love with the human being who is now my partner, Araminta. And so... Yeah, the stars sort of just aligned for me to be here. And um, we still travel a bit, but uh, this is why I chose Guatemala. It's got, it's got beautiful weather. Uh, it's in the tropics, but we're at altitude here at the lake. So we're 1,500 meters uh, above the ocean. And um, with the tropical weather, the, it's called the land of eternal spring. So the weather's amazing. I can trail run and mountain bike from my front door, paddleboard in the morning. Um, yeah, that's one of the reasons why I'm here. It sounds freaking awesome. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> so, so let's take us back then. So, where did you come from? You were you were born, raised, and had a career in South Africa, was it? Exactly. I was born in Durban, in South Africa, and when we were young, our family moved to a place called Johannesburg, which is sort of the the capital, business capital of South Africa. It's not the official capital, but most of the uh, commerce happens in Johannesburg. It's a it's a big, busy city, and um, I did my high school and uh, my university studying there before going traveling. And so that was how I—that was where I grew up. Um, grew up in a yeah middle class family. My parents are still together. I've got a, got one brother, and I had a a really normal and stable childhood. I'm so grateful for the way I was brought up. I you know, 
my folks instilled discipline in my life. They instilled good habits. They didn't give me too much, but I always felt provided for, always felt safe. Like, so yeah, I had a pretty solid start in my life and then um, had the, the challenge of having to leave high school at the age of whatever it was, 18 and decide now you've got to go in the direction that you want in your life. And I had no idea really where I was headed from there. And so I spent about five years traveling. Uh, I was in the States as a water ski instructor, uh, working at a summer camp in upstate New York. That was two back-to-back summers. Lived in London in the UK for a while, then went back to South Africa. And uh, I did a finance degree because at the time, that was my game. I was going to make millions of dollars being a trader, and uh, that was my game. And so got stuck into that and uh, did my my Bachelor of Commerce in Investment Management. And um Despite my best efforts, didn't manage to find a job in finance, which uh, I'm so grateful for. Um, at the same time, started in my own path um, as an entrepreneur and built an advertising agency in South Africa doing promotions. And that was my gig for 10 years. And it was uh, it was great until, until it wasn't. <laughs> Getting into finance, was it something that you were passionate about or were you just looking for money? Yeah, that's that's the question. Um, I was just after the money. I was um, I'd been handed a story that, yeah, my life needed to look a specific way. Money was the way to to achieve that specific um, part of my life. Uh, buy the big house, make sure that you've got enough cash coming in, and yeah, have a family and start that journey. So I, I made that decision only because I met someone in the UK who told me that they'd had a three million pound bonus one year. And I was like, that's it. That's what I need. I want to be an investment banker. But there was genuinely not a lot of passion in my decision. Mm. And, and so, but you came up, I think you said in like a middle-class family. So what what laid that path for you? Just the fact that someone was like, hey, this was a, a quick hit for me for this three million pound bonus. And that was kind of like, that's where I need to be. I got to reflect that I think it has a little bit to do with the the collective agreement of what it means to be a man. I think there was a part of me that believed that validation was somehow linked to having the job that made the good cash to be able to buy the fancy car and live in the right neighborhood. And so I I pretty much adopted that as my plan of my my true north of how I believed my life needed to look. And so I spent 10 years of my life uh, creating advertising campaigns for the types of businesses that at the moment I don't really resonate with. Like Pepsi was my biggest customer and my market was sort of the lower end in, in South Africa. So we were selling sugar water to people that really didn't need this product. And so, and it paid the bills and it was really good money. But I think where I started to veer from that was the, a deep part of my soul didn't feel like I was doing anything truly meaningful. I was ticking all the boxes of things that I thought were meaningful, the fireworks <laughs> that I thought were meaningful. And, um, and I looked at my life at the age of 33 and I'm like, I've done all of this. And I could see myself doing it more and more and more for the next 25 or 30 years further and not having anything more except maybe more stress and a different color car and a bigger house in the same neighborhood. And so that was sort of where I, parted ways from it but i think the answer to your question is really it was a collective story that i thought you know my validation was linked to to financial income and and the amount of money that i had and what do you so can if you could dive a little bit more into that because this actually has been a topic coming up and i'm I'm thankful for it because you know one of the reasons i did this podcast is because i wanted to have this real talk right like 
there's all this this ego and like these masks that we wear in this area, right? Because we've been sold to, you know, I think, I don't know. Look, I'm 42 this year and I feel like I'm hitting this point where I'm picking my head up above. I'm seeing the forest for the trees a little bit, right? That to your point, we're being told like what success looks like, but it just happens to be that success means we buy a bunch of crap. And, you know, so we're, it's this consumerism, this materialism. So what, what was it for you that kind of gut checked you into like picking your head above that, let's say? I resonate with everything that you're saying. I think that collective story around materialism is it. Um, I recognize that it wasn't a specific thing. It was sort of this, this gradual decline into, into a, a version of myself that didn't really love what I was doing. And to be honest, I didn't really love myself. And so what it actually looked like is I had a relationship for four years. South Africa has a sort of a conservative outlook compared to other places, for example, in Europe, where the idea is that at the age of 25, you should be getting together with your life partner, probably getting married, having some kids. And I didn't feel uncomfortable with myself. I didn't love myself enough to know that I could commit to a single person and spend the rest of my life with them without fucking it up. Like I was concerned that I would, you know, get itchy feet, but there was this collective agreement that everybody was starting to get married. I was down to the last two of my friends that wasn't yet married. And after I got out of this four year relationship, I then moved full on into my business and made more money and continued to double down on that part. And I, I developed this, this persona of the eligible bachelor. And I was, yeah, I filled my life with intimate connections, drinking too much, cocaine a couple nights a week and uh, I think it was like less of a a thing as a gradual downfall of like at some point I need to stop doing this like I was just disconnected from myself and I I reflect now and I'm able to say that it was a lack of being able to love myself but at the time I was like ah everyone else had the problem there was nothing wrong with me it was just I was failing to see that the vortex that was spinning around my energetic center was being reflected back to me in yeah, shallow connections, uh, addiction, and yeah, this busyness. And the best way to describe it is being unable to be with myself. Like I would find myself hungover on a Sunday on my couch. I'd be like, oh, you know, the losers shouldn't have drank so much last night. And then hit my phone up to see if I could find some buddies to go drinking with or a girl to connect with or something like that. So it was, it was just a culmination of those things. And I think at the basis of it was me not being comfortable with me. Yeah. And was there any, did you find that yourself or was there any kind of influence, you know, external influence on finding this new path? I wasn't enjoying the business that I'd created. So it was specifically around work, the business that I had created, the advertising agency, which had done really well and had grown, sort of stopped doing well. And on reflection, I can see now when you stop enjoying doing something that you love, but you persist for the reasons that you believe that you should, at some point there's a self-saboteur in you that doesn't want to keep doing this. So it starts to get difficult. And so the business started to go downhill. And uh, I recognized there was one night where I lay in bed and it was a Sunday night. And I was like, fuck, I'm lying awake here worried about work. And I recognized that I had been there Saturday night, Friday night, Thursday night, Wednesday, Tuesday, all the way back to the last Sunday. And I'm worried about this for seven nights in a row worrying about this. And I woke up that morning. I'm like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. So there was definitely a moment when I was like, okay, I'm done. 
I called my partner and I said to her, listen, I don't know what I'm going to do from here, but I can't do this anymore. And so that was really the crux, like seven nights in a row of just the continual, the same stuff, lying awake at night, worrying about the stuff that uh, was clear now that it needed to change. Right. Yeah. What is, and just so, because we're here now, what, what is the celebration with the fireworks there? So uh, San Marcos is the Saint, uh, Saint Mark and each village on the uh, lake that we live on um, has a celebration which takes uh, basically a week. And then eight days after the celebration, we were away for the celebration because it's so noisy. We actually went to the beach to get away from it. And when you come <laughs> back, there's another day of celebration. And the, the reason that they use fireworks is it's a predominantly Christian, mostly Catholic and evangelical uh, community here. They believe that when they send their prayers up to the gods, the fireworks actually wake them, the gods, as a way to be able to hear the prayers that they're sending up. So it's a, it's a religious um, celebration. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> a lot of prayers going up today. That's awesome. <laughs> so, so when, um, when I think, so how did you go about exiting the business? So, so what happened? Like, what did, there's that. So, and, and kind of like, I'm going to summarize this and you tell me if it's a different word for it, but like, you just didn't have joy. You know, you just, you were having things and you, you used the word, these like sh shallow fulfillments, um, you know, but you really didn't enjoy yourself, which, which I honor me. And I think that, you know, and we're going to talk about this in a bit too, but like, I think that takes a lot of courage, right? Because, because like you said, we all get caught in this trap where we're just trying to row in the same direction as everyone else and compare cars and houses, houses and bankrolls and crap. And, and yeah. for people to step out of that lane, I think takes a ton of courage because, because always in, 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 Maybe how did everyone else react to this? So how did you exit the business? How how was the reaction to everyone else kind of going down materialism highway, this world that you're in, to these mm -hmm. changes that you came to? Practically, I, I just met my business partner for breakfast and I said, listen, I'm done with this and I'm not sure what it's going to look like. What it eventually ended up looking like was she took over the business Um she paid me out a percentage uh, over a period for the shares that I had um, invested. And um, yeah, she continues to run that business to this day. So that was the practical part of it. What I actually had in my world was I had a friend's wedding coming up. Uh, it was like in the May. This was in like, for example, the February or the March of 2014. And in the May, I was going to the UK for a friend's wedding. And I'd already bought the ticket and I had a return ticket back to South Africa. And... I said, what I'm going to do is in May, I'm going to catch this, this flight and I'm going to come back at the end of the year because I had another wedding back in South Africa. Everyone's getting married. <laughs> so I was going to come back to South Africa in the December and spend six months just finding myself and traveling and just getting my head clear with the view when I left that I was going to come back to South Africa and start another business. I wasn't sure what that was going to look like, but I was going to use the six months to, to find to find myself and have the plan that I'm going to come back to South Africa and start another business that's more aligned with me that wasn't what I was doing before. And that was, that was the pretense around which I left. To be honest, most people were like, go, bro. I mean, think, I think people inherently have the sense of just recognizing that we recognize in the, in the other person when they're not happy. And as many masks as you put on, you can bullshit for a certain amount of time. But deep down, I think the people closest to me knew that I was bullshitting them. And I was because I would have beers with my mates and they would be like, 
Dale, I'll go for a beer with you. And you say, hey, Gareth, how's it going? The business was going terribly. And I would say, oh, yeah, it's fine. Da, 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 and quickly move the conversation into something that meant I could avoid speaking about that because I was wearing this metaphorical mask of wanting to look like Gareth, the successful entrepreneur, the story that I was kind of trying to protect to the world, which was no longer true and hadn't been true for a while. So the people that love me the most, I think, were excited to see me making some changes. And some people even said, you're not going to come back. And when I heard them say that, I was like, you have no idea. I'm definitely coming back. I've got a return ticket in December. I'm coming back. So yeah, a lot of people, there were one or two people that thought it was a bad idea. But I think on the whole, the people that love me the most could see that it was good for me. And I've got to be super grateful for the fact that it was just me. Like I wasn't, I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. I got out of my business. I rented out my house. I had money. So the decision in, in many ways was, was somewhat easier for me than the version of me that was already married, already deep in that, got kids. Like that becomes a little bit more messy to say, fuck it, I'm out of here and get on a plane and disappear for five years. So I, I did have a few odds stacked in my favor in order to be able to make that decision. Sure, sure. The um, and, and that's a question I had for you, which was the the five year journey that was after you exited the business and you explored all these countries and went on all these adventures and and just for yeah. for those of you listening, right? And what are we saying? Like, what did Gareth run off and do? So traveled thirty four countries, but he's also an Ironman athlete. He traveled 5,000 kilometers across Africa in a single, on a single speed bike, um, <laughs> trekked to Mount Everest base camp, climbed eight volcanoes, survived a 7.8 earthquake in Nepal, uh, sat for 10 in, uh, uh, sat in a 10 day silent Vipassana retreat, uh, six days alone in a dark room. Um, you know, and, and a couple other here, I know will come up in the story, so I'll leave them for that. So is that all those things I listed there? Were those what you were running around the world, these 34 countries doing in that five-year period? Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, the Ironman triathlon happened before this was prior to my travels, but pretty much everything else on that list that you went through has been in my reality over the last five years. Um, perhaps a really interesting way to jump off this piece which has actually shaped my work was I've always been into personal development even when I was in my business before and although I wasn't doing something that was necessarily aligned with my soul I was always good at setting goals and creating a plan of things that I wanted to do in my life and so I've always been been good at uh, keeping body health and at some point in my journey I I also read a lot of personal development books and I'm not 100% sure where I read this but there was this exercise where you would, at the time, take a blank piece of paper and write down your dream life in the context of one day. And you allow yourself to dream and write this, this thing called My Perfect Day. And at the time, I was living in Johannesburg, waking up at 5 in the morning to go to gym, have my first work meeting at 7.30, work, work, work all day, drinks in the evening afterwards, get messy in the evening, back to work the whole day. And this had been my, my repeating pattern, which was my advertising agency. But somewhere in that mess, I'm not even sure exactly when I did it, I went through the process of writing down this perfect day exercise, which sounds like I wake up when I'm ready to, I spend the first hour and a half of my day surfing, exercising somewhere close to water. When that's done, I sit and have breakfast overlooking the ocean. All my devices are connected to high-speed internet. And I continued to write about exactly what a perfect day would look like for me. 
Um, I wrote about how I made money passively and it came to me doing something that I truly loved. And I had this perfect partner and my life when I did this exercise looked nothing like the stuff I wrote down on the paper. And uh, I then filed it away and promptly forgot about it. Like I never did anything else with it. It was a, a, a digital document that I had on my, uh, my laptop that was under the goals and personal development folder. And that was it. And so I go through this whole journey, say goodbye to my partner. Uh, she takes the business. I say goodbye to everybody else in my world. Go traveling for six months. Pretty soon realize that I'm having the best fucking time. I'm definitely not going back to try and build another business. I'm learning to surf in Sri Lanka. I'm climbing mountains. I'm connecting with a bit amazing people. And I make the decision that after six months, I'm not going back to South Africa. But I still feel the masculine part of me still needs to have a plan. I can't just do nothing. And so I'm like six months into my travels. I'm like, I'm going to keep this going. Let's just have a plan. And so I sit down at my laptop one day when I'm in India and I open up my laptop and I'm like, okay, let's create a plan for the next six months. And I open that folder and I find this exercise, this perfect day exercise that I'd probably done at the time. It would have been maybe eight years prior to this. And as I read my perfect day, as I'd written it, then I look around my world and where I am on the beach in India. And I had been for a surf in the morning. We'd been renting a house there. My devices are all connected to amazing fast internet. I've got beautiful people around me. My life is just flowing. And I was like, whoa, what, what happened that I wrote this down and suddenly it showed up in my world with me doing nothing else. It's not like I'm continually checking in with this plan and like I did it and forgot about it. And so in that moment, there was just this like recognition that there's something going on here that when you choose to create something, give yourself permission to dream is how I now, you know, maybe reference that you have the ability to create your reality exactly how you want it. And there was a time when my reality looked exactly how I wanted it. Just, I didn't realize I was creating it. I was in competition with my business. I was hustling for work. I couldn't be on my own. And so I continually projected all my, my own insecurities into my partners. And that was being reflected back to me in every single moment. And so that was really the, the transition that got me to this place. But yeah, it also started the new direction of my work, which is I call lifestyle design, which is creating systems and plans to recognize the important areas of your life, relationships, money is one of them, where you choose to live, family, community, etc., And then a tool to be able to write a script so that that area looks like exactly how you would want that part of your life to look. And then use that as a, a true north to be able to make the decisions that support you to start living that way in those areas of your life. And so that was really the, the jumping off point for me to, to go into that. And even when that happened, I mean, it's pretty clear that I was, I was still searching, like I was going to all of these things. But I think rather than searching, the better word was more like experiencing for me. I was just open to doing new things. I was living in a place where I was like, okay, we're all going skydiving tomorrow. I'm in. Like, are we going to ride 5,000 kilometers across Africa? I'm in. Like, I just said yes to everything. And I suddenly realized that I could actually live my life like this. There's a, there's a way to be able to live this way. And so, yeah, I love adventure. I love being in nature. I love moving my body. And so those are how all of those things came into being. Some of them weren't a fuck year when I heard about them, uh, sitting in silence <laughs> for 10 days meditating. <laughs> when I first yeah. heard that, I was like, not a fuck. That's not for me. I don't need that. I'm definitely not going to be uh, 
spending any time there. It's a it's another principle that I've recognized in my my own journey is that I think quite often we create resistance to the things that we need the most. And I was, despite being on the road, still very much in my own head. And uh, yeah, 10 days of just examining your thoughts in a Vipassana retreat brought out some some really interesting stuff. And uh, it set me in, in, in motion for my meditation journey, which has been a strong pillar to support me in my journey. So talk to me a little bit about that. Were you meditating at all before that and, and or what? Like kind of where did you stand in, in the world of mindfulness and meditation before this? And then how did you change after? So I wasn't I wasn't into meditation at all. I had probably heard the word and it was not any concept that I gave any any time to. Um I didn't understand what the point of it was. Um yeah, I can honestly say it's a good question. I haven't actually thought about it, but beforehand I didn't have any space in my world for it. I remember um, I was traveling with some friends when we went to India and the girls that we were traveling with said, oh, there's a yoga fest in Rishikesh. I'm like, that sounds cool. Let's go. I've never done yoga before. Yoga and meditation, India, obviously got a deep heritage in, in mindfulness and these sorts of practices. And the Canadian girl that I'm traveling with at the time says, let's try meditating. So we sit back to back next to the Ganges and it lasted about three minutes. I was like, this is lame. What are we supposed to be doing here? Like that. There's no silence here. It just keeps coming. And so I pushed it away again. But on my travels, I continued to meet people who had done these 10 days, including some people much younger than me, like uh, this young German girl that I met. She had already sat for passing. And I was like, whoa, this, there might be something here. Like I, I'm pushing it away, but I haven't actually looked at it in any detail. And so without very much meditation training at all, I signed up for what is almost like the Ironman of meditation to sit 10 days, 12 hours a day in meditation on the floor. And honestly, I, I soldiered my way through. It was no joke. Um, I had no real training going into it. And um, in hindsight, it probably would have been better to build up my practice and start developing it on my own. But in some ways, I didn't really have that. I didn't have a, a jumping off point. I, I didn't even load a meditation app on my phone. I jumped straight into Vipassana. And so it was it was a strong 10 days for me and there were a couple of moments of true magic in there that I was like whoa like you know almost so, psychedelic effects as a result of just watching your thoughts eh? I, I've heard that you know I've, I've definitely watched and heard a lot about yeah because I think I've I've been more on this mindfulness meditation journey for the last year because everything you describe I relate to up until last year I was like got no time for that. Like, you know, it doesn't fit, don't get it, you know, whatever. So I, I'm very much with you there, but, um, but I have seen that. So I, so what you say is, is not unfamiliar to me. Like you hit that point. So, but you, did you, did they, <laughs> what kind of instruction did you get? Like walking into this thing? Like, did you, was it a retreat that you went to and you were at like a facility or, or resort or something that you did the, did the 10 days or like, and, and, since you didn't meditate up till point that point, like what, like what instruction did you get to kind of like get started, get rolling? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm sure you didn't mm. just sit there stir crazy until you finally started meditating properly. Like what? No, no, no. You know? <laughs> yeah. So it, the, the Vipassana training is really a facilitated process. So mm. while all of the participants sit for 12 hours a day in silence, there is discourse that's delivered through an instructor and, um, okay. Yeah, so it's got they would basically give you the process of exactly what to do. Sit, 
observe your breath. But you spend the first three days just observing your breath. The, the instruction is sit there and notice if you can feel the air flowing through your nose onto your top lip. That's it. And then you sit for an hour. So you sit and the, you know that instruction is to sit still and you're on the floor with your legs crossed. And like after 20 minutes, I'm super uncomfortable. And that's session one of 12 one-hour sessions throughout the day. And all you're doing is watching your top lip. And then it's like, okay, now that you can feel your top lip, notice this. And then they move to, it progresses throughout the week. Once you start to drop into the, the, the process of observing the breath, the next phase of the Vipassana style of meditation is really a body scan where you are aware of how you bring your attention to various parts of your body that you can start to recognize it. And so it's really a, that's the facilitated process. So there is a process of taking you through it for the, the seven days even with the guide, it was it was tough. <laughs> so, and were you sitting classic? Like you were sitting, sitting cross leg, palms up, head up for yeah twelve hours. Well, a day for that was days. the plan. That was the plan, and but I eventually ended up using pillows to support me and getting different positions. And on day four, they give you this thing called the seated determination, which is not to move for one hour and to just observe everything that comes up in your body for this hour that you choose to sit and meditate up until then you could move a little bit, but, um, yeah, it was pretty much on the floor with a cushion and, um, I'm more practiced at it now. I think I would be better. I haven't sat Vipassana again since that first one, but, um, I think I'd be better practice now because I can comfortably sit for an hour now, but I've got eight years of, of practice now of since then of actually sitting meditation. So yeah, but, um, I think one of the things I'd like to share was when I went into this, I had this idea that I was going to th think about my next business idea and I'll think about my family. And I decided what I was going to think about. I got into meditation and pretty much from day two, my mind just went back to every single woman I've ever been with in my life and reran those fantasies and stories over and over and over again. And I'd bring myself back using the technique. But every single time I had a thought, it was always something to do with eros and intimacy and past lovers and i was like what the fuck is going on here like why can't i get myself away from anything else like this is just this is not what i came to do and what i what i teared up to on on reflection is i think there's a part of the ego that starts to dissolve when you start to continually tune into your story that you go through in meditation and that part of you is so strong it doesn't want to die and so it throws all of the things that have been the strongest in your experience that get you to do the things that you've always done. And for me, that was intimacy. I had an intimacy addiction when I was disconnected from myself where I didn't want to be by myself and I'd make myself feel better by connecting with a woman. And as I'm sitting in meditation, that part is slowly starting to dissolve and it's fighting back as hard as it can by sending me all these stories of all the women and the things I did and the things I should have done. It's like, you know, it was such an interesting recognition just to see how strong our, our patterns, stories, and ego are when you sit in meditation and contemplation and, and really look at it. So. Hey guys, Dale here, and I wanted to take a quick break to invite you to join the launch of the Lions Guide community called The Pride. You see, whether it was at work dealing with the demands of the day or maintaining the demands of my life at home, I always seemed to feel like my struggles were unique, like somehow I was the only one struggling to find joy amidst all the weight that I felt I was carrying each day. And you know what I've come to realize is that we all have our struggles that we're up against, and it's pretty demanding. 
The only way to rise to those demands is to decide and make the change to adopt a growth mindset, to be what I call a high performer. And that's why I started Lions Guide. I want to help you break through to the next level of you and your ability to not only meet but exceed those demands on you and in doing so, find your joy again. If you're a growth-minded individual ready to make a change, then I'm here for you. And this is how you get started. I invite you to visit lionsguide.com and sign up to join the Pride. The Pride is the Lions Guide community for growth-minded members like you. Once signed up, you'll get special access to all the free content and resources I'm putting out there. You'll also be invited to join my live online events where I host sessions on personal growth and high performance. You'll also be able to engage with other growth-minded members on our private online group. Also, if you enjoy the podcast as a member, you'll get access not only to all the podcasts, but also the podcasts that have been yet to be released. So get access to all this and more. So break out of that rut, break into your next level, and join me on lionsguide.com, and let's grow together. Go to lionsguide.com and become a member of the Pride today. Now back to the show. Your ego was at battle with you, and but where did what? how did that subside, and how did it go for the rest of the 10 days? That was, I think that was probably up to the first week. I think that was the first seven days that that, that, that continued in that way. Um, and just for clarity, it's like we're always battling a version of this ego. There's always some story showing up. Um, it's really the practice of meditation that gets you to a place that you're aware of what that story is. And just to backtrack, three years before this, when I'm living in Johannesburg, I'm completely unaware of the story. My world's just happening to me. I've got my to-do list. I'm showing up. I'm hustling, but I'm, I'm unaware of the story that's really driving my experience. And that's, for me, been the process of meditation, to, to be there and to recognize that in every moment I'm having the story. There's a part of me standing here now being like, okay, what should I say next to make sure that like, all of that is just a story? And to be able to step back into the observer and to be like, noticing what that is, is has been the practice of meditation for me. So that it was really the whole seven days was almost mostly the intimate connections that I'd had in my life before. Um, there was a, there was a profound moment where I think I can't remember what day it was. These days flow into each other. Like, you know, by the time you're on day three, you want to just, oh, I was going to get out of there. But anyway, I'm sitting there at some point and you have body pain almost all the time. And one of the practices of Vipassana is this idea of impermanence that nothing lasts forever, including body pain. So when you sit with your legs crossed and you're like, oh, my knee's so sore, my knee's so sore, I need to move. A little while later, you realize that now my shoulder's sore and my knee's stopped. <laughs> I was going to stop and change my entire position for the sore knee, which is no longer sore anymore. Now I've got to say, oh, this is so uncomfortable. And so that impermanence is really the practice of meditation and recognizing that everything in our experience is impermanent, including the self. This body is going to be gone at some point. And if you can be okay with that, you know, life seems to be a little bit more easy to manage. But I was at this place where my whole body felt like it was super uncomfortable. My eyes were closed. And then there was this moment where my whole body just went completely numb and it felt like it felt like my head was just resting in space. And at first it was a bit trippy. I kept my eyes closed, but it felt good because all the pain just disappeared. Like the body just felt like I could say bliss. And I kept checking in with myself to see if I'd fallen asleep or something, but I was very much conscious. I kept my eyes closed and I was like, this is going to go back to my normal experience at some point. And, uh, yeah, it probably lasted for like three to four minutes where I just felt like all I could experience was my head just floating on top of my body. And I just stayed there. It was, it was pretty blissful. And um, 
And at some point after that, the body started to come back into sensation. But those are really the two things that I took the most from it was that moment of recognizing that I'm, I'm not even sure how to describe in words what actually happened, but the body was in pure state of bliss. And then the recognition of the ego fighting with them, my old stories that were the strongest, I would say that was the gold that I got from my first two Vipassana, my first Vipassana, those two lessons. And you've only done it that one time or have you done it again? I haven't sat Vipassana again. I've done other meditation retreats, but not specifically the Vipassana 10-day silence, 12-hour day vibe. So in, in where it's does on my it, list. I plan does, to go back. And so like, how did you change after that, right? So now you're more aware of your ego. You had that, that kind of blissful spiritual experience. So what did that do for you, right? Like, it sounds like it was pretty impactful. Like, what was the new version of Gareth kind of coming out of this 10-day Vipassana what did you look like then? What kind of changed? What? How did you change? What, what did that look like? I think reflecting on a meditative journey, the meditation journey that you go on as a human being is really kind of a difficult thing to put your finger on because it's not like you'd meditate once or twice or even 10 days and suddenly things are better. There's this gradual sense that I'm more okay with me and my experience of who I am. I recognize that my meditation practice supports me to recognize when, for example, I go into a social environment and we're having a dinner party with people that I don't yet know. And I recognize that my asshole is so clenched. There's some part of me that's anxious. And I'm like, what is that? Like, <laughs> I'm sitting here amongst my peers and there's a part of me that's so fucking anxious. I don't even know what's driving it. That for me is the recognition that I, that I didn't have until I had a meditation practice. And that's just this general sense of becoming more and more aware of myself. And for me, it also flows into my stories. So where I was explaining before, the idea that the stories that we create, the perfect day experience, that story is what we write down on paper. But there's also a version of what we choose to tell ourselves about our experience, which the meditation practice gives you the ability to choose and change that story when you recognize that you're running an old story. So that might look like, oh, things are so expensive. The business is not moving quickly enough. You know, that's sort of the scarcity hustle story. That's just a story that I'm choosing to tell. My meditation practice gives me the ability to recognize that, okay, that might be true, but I don't want to hold that story. I want to be in a place where I'm like, okay, actually, I've got all the time in the world. There's no rush to have to do this. I'm going to show up fully or I'm going to take a walk or I'm going to do something else but I don't have to keep banging down my head down that particular road because there's a, like some anxiety showing up in me. So I think for me, having left there, there was some change, but it's hard to pinpoint exactly what that was. It's like this gradual becoming more and more aware of myself and being able to catch myself quicker and quicker between the stories that I run in my head that I don't want to manifest into my experience versus the story that's like, you know what, I'm fucking in my power and I'm good to do this. And, you know, we get to choose that story in every moment, but sometimes we don't catch ourselves. And so, yeah, that's really been the meditation practice for me. And I would say of all the tools that I teach in lifestyle design, for me, meditation's it. It's the one, it's the one thing that drives everything because the mind is in, in many ways deciding whether I feel like training, how I, how I show up when I go on a date with a woman, how I think about my relationship with money, how I choose to show up in the world. All of those things come from here. And so if I want to show up fully in all of these areas of my life, 
most of the time for me, it's catching the story that I'm telling myself in my mind. And that's the meditation practice, that awareness to create, to catch those stories before I run the wrong story that manifests into my, into my experience. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome, and I and I I really kind of honor you sharing it, and even doubling down to go. That is the thing, you know. Um, I, I love it. I mean, I think, I think it, it's I don't know with all the technology of the last hundred years. I'll say it's it's funny to me how we're coming back to some more human practices such as meditation, which are you know certainly over in the the Asia's and in India certainly that that are a way of life and they're making their way west. And uh, I don't know, it's, it's been interesting certainly as well for the last year. And that's kind of where, where you were saying you couldn't put your finger on it. I was kind of telling myself like you gave yourself and you, you said this, right. You gave yourself the tool of awareness that you could use. Like now you had a new tool of awareness that you could now use. So it wasn't like a, aha, so to speak, but you were enabled with this new, tool to, to use on your journey as you know, like you said, now, now you had an awareness of your body, your stories, these things that before you weren't right. It, it's kind of like, you know, that, that thing where like, it's a joke there, like old fish swings, swims by the two young fish and goes, Hey boys, how's the water? And he swims away and the two fish are like, what's water, right? Like, it's almost like you <laughs> exactly. then became, <laughs> became the, the, the senior fish. You knew that you were in water, right? And, and now right. you had this awareness about you. So that's awesome. Um, any of these other things like, um, that you did? So, so was this different than the six days alone in a, in a dark room? Is that, cause I've seen this, I think online where it's like completely blacked out. You're in just completely dark. Is that, is that what you did? Yeah, that was that was uh, just prior to the pandemic starting. Actually, um, again, I heard about it. Someone was like, um, "Let me step back." Where I live in Guatemala, this uh, this lake is a vortex of yeah, people doing personal development work. There's a lot of yoga and re- retreat spaces here and meditation. And so, uh, there's a, a space foreigners? on the lake that there's a mix of expats and the local indigenous mind community living here. So we've got an indigenous mind community that we live amongst here. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a sweet mix. And um, it's one of the spots that you can travel to as part of like a circuit that you can do through Latin America. So Guatemala and specifically Lake Atitlan is one of those places. And so one of the retreat centers has these two darkroom facilities where you can sign up and go in for as long as you choose to go in and this is how it looks in practice. Uh, for me, it was um, six nights, seven days, if I remember correctly. You go in um, at sunset on on the first day in the evening. The retreat space holder shows you your room, which was pretty small. It's probably like two meters wide by about three meters long. And at the other side of it, there's a, a composting toilet and a, and a shower and access to drinking water. And you can go in with whatever you choose to go in. Um, he gives you a candle and you get set up, get orientated with the room, unpack the stuff that you've bought for the week that you're going to be there. And when you're ready, you blow the candle out and that's it. You don't see light again for the next seven days. And what what they do as a facilitator is they are bringing you food twice a day. You get a meal in the morning and you get lunch in the afternoon and that gets passed through a double door. And that's really the only interaction you have. You don't even speak to them. They basically put it in, put the food in, 
close the door on the outside and knock, and then you open the inside door and grab your food out, and that's you in this uh, dark cave for, for six days. And so I found that easier than the, than the Vipassana. And I, I recognize for me, the reason I found that easier is because there's a part of me, I call it my rebel, that doesn't like being told what to do. So Vipassana is like four o'clock in the morning, somebody rings a bell and you've all got to sit up and go meditate. And there's a part of me that's like, ah, this reminds me of school. Don't tell me what to do. Like, so I was struggling a little bit with that part of the Vipassana retreat, the 10 days. But yeah, it's just me. Like I can do whatever I choose to do in this dark room. And um, so I took some of my personal practices in there. Um, what did I take with me? I took a small dose of magic mushrooms, a micro dose of magic mushrooms that I took uh, in the morning of day three, four, and five um, as part of my morning meditation practice. I took a yoga mat. I took a Tibetan singing bowl, that bowl that goes when you, when you swing around the um, uh, – it's like a little stick that makes a noise. So I had that. Um, and then I took – I took a piece of paper and a pen, like a big notebook and a pen to be able to write, even though I couldn't see. So I recognized that I would have some downloads coming through me that I would want to remember. But essentially what you do is in the dark, you write as much as you can, which is when you come out into the light, you recognize it's like it's all sideways and you've written over certain parts, but then you put the pen down on the page that's not been written on yet, because obviously you can't see anything. And you know that the next time you want to write something, you can pick up and start from where the pen is. And you have to develop all these strategies to get used to living in complete blackness. Like you, you, I lost my water bottle for half a day. I couldn't remember where I'd put it in the small room. Like it was there somewhere, but I just couldn't find it. <laughs> so, um, so what did I do? Every single day I, I would wake up. You have um, the ability to hear the birds outside because it's not completely soundproof. So I could hear when the birds were getting up in the morning and I would get up then. And I could hear the last bird at night when they would go to sleep. And I knew more or less what the cycles of the day were, including the meals getting delivered in the morning at lunchtime. So that's really my reference point for time and the only reference point that I had for time. The first night I got in there, I fell asleep almost immediately. And my body just took almost, I think, probably 20 hours of rest. I just slept. I just completely slept. And when I woke up, I then moved into my routine of what I was going to do. And some of the practices that I did in there, I would do some burpees, push-ups, some physical exercise every single day. And part of being in the darkroom is actually you're just looking for stuff to do because it's fucking boring. <laughs> There's nothing going on. <laughs> so I'm just finding stuff to do. I'm like, you know, writing something down and I was doing some, some exercise. I would do some yoga. I would sit in meditation a reasonable amount of time. I would then just lie on my bed completely bored, play with a singing bowl, make some noise. Um, I spent every single day I would go through a self-pleasuring ritual, um, as a way to move some of my physical energy. Um, I also have an emotional release practice, which looks like breath, sound, and movement. So that looks like banging the pillows, screaming into the pillows, moving my body in a way just to move some emotional energy through my body. And then on the last or the middle three days, I took the microdose of mushrooms and sat in meditation as those came up. And um, one of the most profound experiences was uh, pretty much from the moment I was in, I wanted to be out. I was like, I can't wait to get back to Araminta and just get out of this place. And I chose to be in there. I wanted to be bored. I wanted to experience just this, the part of the animal that always has to be doing. Like I'm, 
I'm a strong doer. It's my superpower. And so to exercise the opposite of that for me was the, the exercise was to not be doing, not be planning, not be doing something. It's just to, just to sit and be bored and recognize that there's nothing for me to do for these next five days, just to be in this dark room. But I think it was the second last afternoon where I had been through quite a lot of emotion that day, but there was a time when I was, I just burst out laughing at the irony of how I was so fucking happy. I realized I'm basically living in a broom cupboard in the complete dark with nothing except a bit of fruit salad every morning. And I'm so fucking happy. And I laughed at how much time I spend worrying about money, working for money, chasing stuff, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, we don't need anything to be happy. Like I'm literally stuck in this tiny dark room with nothing. I don't need anything. And I'm perfectly happy. And it was like this, this moment of relief, release, and pure joy just completely flowing out of me of like, yeah, just recognizing how much we have to be grateful for and how much time I spend worrying about stuff that's really not got anything to do with, it's not worth worrying about. Like, you know, take everything from me, lock me in that cupboard for a while and I'm going to be okay. (laughs) So that was like a profound moment of just recognizing how much pressure I put myself under to achieve and to do and to earn and to blah, blah, that whole story. Yeah. And that's it. And so basically you go through this experience and um, on the last day, they come and fetch you just before sunrise. I was awake before I was keen to get out and uh, they bring you out before the sun comes up and uh, your orientation back into light is as the sun comes up naturally, you come back into the, to the world through integrating the, the darkness into the light. And it was trippy. When I got out of that room, I, I couldn't balance properly. Like I was, I had to walk down some stairs to get down to the lake to be able to watch the sunrise. But sight had eluded me for the last week. I hadn't seen any light. And so it took me quite a while to find my orientation and my bearings of being able to do a simple task like walking. Yeah. But profound, and, super and, profound. And and did that, did those lessons carry with you? Like, you know, so you, you mentioned like, um, the joy of gratefulness for what we have, like, is, is that your takeaway from that? That you realize that you, did you find yourself kind of putting those things in the right buckets thereafter? Yeah, I think so. And maybe it's similar to the meditation description. It's like, it's not one thing specifically, but there's just this general sense of gratitude and this ability to tap into that place where I was when I feel like work's not going the right way. And so that was, that was definitely, um, part of that experience um, to be able to, yeah, to have that as a reference point to to go back to. I think the other part as well is I recognize we're, we're so distracted with all the sensory inputs that we have that something as small as being able to eat fruit salad in the dark is like orgasmic slash explosive when the only sense you have is taste. You know, when you're sitting having breakfast and you're just shoveling food into your face while you're also doing something else, you're not present with the food. And when you're in a dark room with nothing else to do, you're very present with the food, including the fact that you can't see it. And so you don't know what you're putting in your mouth until it arrives there. And you're like, oh my God, it's pineapple. It's fucking amazing. And the next one is a piece of papaya. And it's like just as orgasmic. And it's like, you really get these reference points that you don't often get until you really dial down some of the other senses that continually take your attention and split them into into other things that you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I... I, again, I appreciate that. I, you know, for me, this I'm probably like in my third or fourth week of just kind of like staying away from my phone. Like I just 
get the thing away from me. And even now, like when I touch it, because mm. I'm, I'm expecting communications or I am whatever, I, I, I'll hit a point quickly now where I'm like, man, get this damn thing away from me. Like, get it away from me. Like, I can't wait to get it away from me because that was that that certainly a much smaller form. But to your point about like, it was just another thing of just too much stimulus, like too much occupation of my thoughts in 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 like a hurricane form like in perspective like kind of looking back at it like you know when i have that thing away from me especially and it took a couple of days like i, I kind of relate it to like my transition to um time release eating that it took me a couple of days before i really started to kind of appreciate kind of what was going on by keeping that thing away from me and i would say that like everything that I then did experience, I was certainly more present, but it had a newfound, I would say intensity, kind of like you're describing with the food, right? Like, you know, my brain mm -hmm. was not my brain, my emotion, my intellect, whatever that my phone consumes, right? Wasn't there. So other things just got more of my, I had more capacity to, you know, consume my presence better, I guess. I don't know. I'm not trying to quite put this in words yet, but, but I, so, but I can, I can hundred percent kind of relate. Like I say, certainly my, what I'm trying to describe is a fraction, but I, I really appreciate what, what you're saying because, you know, just simply getting this damn freaking, you know, phone away from me is giving me a little taste of kind of what you're describing, you know? What is your protocol with your phone? What are you doing with it at the moment? Like, what does that look like? Certain hours or not around at all? Or what, is it, what does that look like? For I, you? I just keep it away from me, man. Like, I, what I've been doing is, like, <laughs> I, I've told myself, like, if if I can't do it on my laptop, like, it can wait, you know? Like, it, or, you know, like, okay. I, just, I just keep it away from me. Like, I, I leave it. I'll leave it. Like, you know, like, you know, you hit this point with these stupid phones where, like, it's, you can't be without it. Like, it's almost a a part of anxiety, like when you don't have it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. now I'm just like, I left my phone at home. You know, we went, I went out to dinner the other night and I'm like, you know, my wife asked me something. I was like, I don't, I don't know. I left my phone at home and it's kind of like a weird thing, you know, but I'm like, I, I don't, yeah, I don't want yeah. that thing. like get rid of the, get rid of the watch, get rid of the phone. Like, like when I come to my office, I set it on a thing on the other side of the room, if I even bring it in, uh, admittedly these right. past few days, I've, I've had some things to do and some new clients and stuff I've been communicating with. So I've, I've, I've used it more than I had in, in the three weeks prior, but it was intentional. And, but, but today, even, even despite that, I've been back to like, keep the thing away from me and go, go check it. I always kind of like, cause I had already like turned off all my notifications stuff. Like I always call it like, I check my phone. Uh -huh. It doesn't check me. So nothing, Nothing popped up except yeah. for like true communication stuff, text and and phone. But I mean, I just keep it away. I right. keep my watch away from me. I keep my phone away from me. Um, and, and to the extent I leave it in my other like house, like I work in my pool house in the backyard, I'll leave it over there. Or if I'm whatever, I just just keep it away from me. <laughs> I don't know. It's <laughs> um, and that's it's been awesome. But yeah, I I know when I do have it with me for whatever reason. And I'll be using it for a second and then I, I'll hit this point a couple minutes in with my newfound awareness where I just, like I said earlier, I'll just be like, get this thing away from me, you know, and I'll just go put it somewhere and whatever. <laughs> Strong practice. 
I, yeah, I, I'm enjoying it. Um, and and I'm and so again, being a couple of weeks into it, I, I'm definitely hitting a point where uh, I'm starting to reflect on it. And go, okay, what am I going to do with this newfound knowledge? Right? What am I? What what am I going to do with, with this thing? And I'm you know, and just and again, I, at least at this point, I know I'm very intentional um, because I know like it has utility, right? Like we've yeah. got the, you know, we've we've got some utility there. But we've been duped into like being given this utility, but we're on, you know, but but that was a hook in the in the water, and and that utility <laughs> was the worm, and and we ate the right. worm, but now we're hooked, right? And so, right. so I'm trying to reflect back and go, where where do I go with this from here? Because there's certainly parts that I enjoy, like communicating with you and and like and the likes, right? Like I have certainly grown a lot by that utility what i've got access to the knowledge i've got access to but um you know I, i'm trying to see where it truly fits like what what where is this balance now that i've got this you know newfound awareness is is as you've described your experiences like this awarenesses that you found yeah i have that tool now just the, the awareness that there's a hook you know in in that worm mm-hmm. um in in you know what am i going to do about that so Mm, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So, what of so? One of the things we have in common is you know this this theme of courage. So, I want to pick your brain a little bit about like what is courage to you? Like, how did that come about? Why is that such an important topic? What? Tell me. Tell me where you're at with that. Um, these lifestyle design tools that I was telling you about earlier, uh, the perfect day being the the starting point for my work. Our business used to be called Live More Perfect Days, and it was lifestyle design tools that would help you get up in the morning, make sure that you have all your uh, important areas of your life aligned. And we were, uh, we being myself and my business partner, Matt, we were looking for a way to to monetize this. And yeah, we made all the the mistakes that you make when you start an online business. And the, the, the biggest, I think, was not knowing exactly who our market was, like not knowing exactly who we were targeting and filled with the excitement that comes from recognizing that the law of attraction is a thing and that my thoughts can definitely impact my reality. And when I change those things, my reality starts to shift. We were like, this is for everybody. Everybody needs this stuff. And when you're speaking online, if you're not speaking directly to a specific person, you don't really get the attention of anybody really. And so yeah, we hired a business coach and on reflection of exactly who it was that we were really wanting to show up for, it became pretty evident that both myself and Matt had both benefited tremendously from being inside men's circles, like specifically um, curated containers where we were with other men and we got the opportunity to drop into vulnerability and honesty and tell stories about where we got stuck. And there's just been so much healing for me on that journey of recognizing other people have the same challenges as me. And that feels like half of the learn, half of the healing rather, like just to hear that someone else is also battling with the same stuff or ran the story that they thought they needed to build a business that sounded like, I'm like, I had that as well. And it is, there's something in that that's the first half of the healing the second half is just when you share your own story, which when you share it, you don't know necessarily that it's going to vibe with anybody. It's my story. But somebody else comes up to you afterwards and reflects that, you know, I had the same thing. I felt that. And it's like, 
it feels like the full circle of, of being able to, yeah, just to be able to show up and own the parts of ourselves that we keep locked away because we, we're fearful that the world doesn't, isn't ready to see them or that's not part of how I want to show up in the world. And what I recognize is that really it has to do with, let me say this another way. Remember I was telling you earlier how I would go for a drink with a friend and uh, I would, they would ask me about business and I'd just put it to the side as a way to, to derail the conversation. What I now understand is that we're primates and when you and I go for a beer and you ask me how work is and I go, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Um, anyway, well, how's it going with the podcast? I break your trust in that moment because there's a part of the animal part of you that recognizes that something wasn't aligned there. You could feel me not vibing with my work stuff, but my words said everything was fine. And I think that's the breakdown that I recognized in my experience where, yeah, people, you can't build trust with somebody if you can't be completely honest with them. And obviously, honesty comes with a whole set of safety and making sure that it's the right place to be able to be completely honest. But really, radical honesty has been a, a really important part of my journey of being able to build trust. And so what that meant is that our Live More Perfect Days work that was for everybody really evolved into creating a tribe of men that are that look like you and me and Matt and other brothers that have been through a similar story and that through having a space to share these stories, help us grow, help me grow, help Matt grow, help our community grow and bring more brothers into the, to the fray to be able to share their stories and also hear other people sharing, you know, whatever it is that's, that's helped keep them stuck. And that's that little healing circle that I was sharing with you earlier. And so where courage comes from is, for me, it's recognizing those stories. It's recognizing that actually it's courageous for me to be completely honest. It's courageous for me to put my mask down and say, you know what, actually work is fucking terrible at the moment and I'm looping in intimacy addiction and I'm stuck here. And yeah, that, that requires me stepping out of the things that I've already known what to do into something new. And so, yeah, that's really where the, the courage pieces come in. And we've got this, I would say like a framework of understanding that the one thing that all human beings share is a continually set of expanding desires. That's the one thing that we have. We're, we came here to expand, to experience new things. As a soul, we came to this matrix to experience everything, pain, heartache, love, emotions, all of those things. And in order to experience a full range of those, we often need to step into places we haven't been before. And so that's where I believe the courage comes from, where you need to be able to be courageous to step into something you haven't done before as a way to expand, including the consequences that come from doing that. You may fall down. You may need to stand back up again. You may graze your knee. You may get heartbreak. All of those things require you doing something new. And I think when I reflect on my journey, those probably the last four years of my advertising agency, I didn't have the courage to listen to the story that I was unhappy and I kept doing what I was doing. And I think that was the part of me that if you don't expand for a certain amount of time or you stay stuck, your soul wants to break out, you know, and so it looks for different ways to get out. And for me, that was intimacy, avoiding myself. And it's desperately unhappy, like an animal trying to get out and do something more exciting. That's what we came for. And it requires the courage to step into that. And so courage is really the, the underpinning of understanding that we, we came to have a, an expanded experience. And if we stop expanding, life's going to start to feel bland. And when it starts to feel bland, you start to, yeah, beat up on yourself, et cetera. And so the layer for us below courage is confidence. 
and confidence. When you feel confident, you can be more courageous. And from what I understand, confidence has got two components. The first component is having a plan that has gathered enough data that the choice that I'm going to make feels like I've got enough stuff that I feel comfortable to be able to do it. And the other part of the, the of developing confidence is not to be attached to the outcome. So like I know I need to do something new in my life. I'm going to create a plan to do it, to feel more confident. And I get to a place through lifestyle design tools like meditation where even if I fall down, I trust that I'm divinely guided that this is exactly where I need to be and I'm not attached to the outcome. And so that gives you the confidence to be able to act courageously so that you can expand. And then the base layer below confidence is these lifestyle design tools that I was telling you about because those are the things that give you the plan. Those are the, the scaffolding that supports your experience by sitting in meditation every morning so that you can feel confident that if I make a courageous step and things go sideways – that's cool. That's the nature of what it is. I'm going to be okay with it. I'm going to reassign. I'm going to change my plan and I'm going to keep going. So that's courage in the hierarchy for me as we've been working through it over the last few years. I freaking love it, man. Yeah. It's, it's, it's awesome. I, I love just like you said, I, you know, courage is a virtue, right? And, and, you know, so that means like we've got to be truthful and honest and, and, and yeah, no, I, I love all that. And I, I do really like the part about, you know, not being attached to the outcome. I think that's important too, you know, um, because that's, that is a source of fear, you know, that, Hey, what if I, what if I fail? What if I can't do it? Whatever. And, and, but mm -hmm. that's, that is the pre preventative, you know, when that, that thought that, that we're not even finding out if that's truth, right. If, if that we would even mm -hmm. fail or if we did, what does that really mean? Like what, so what, like what, what's the true yeah. impact of, of that failure? So I, I love it, man. Uh, yeah. well, yeah, we're running up on time, but I know, uh, we're going to chop it up again, um, at least on, on your podcast called a courage, but, um, to bring us home, how can people find you, um, you know, find, find the conversation that you've got going on or, or whatever. Thanks, man. Yeah. It's been super great hanging out, bro. Um, I also want to just share a story that you and I dropped in on, um, when we first connected and the theme of your podcast and the work that you're doing also has courage inherently interwoven into it. And I, I had such a strong and profound moment when we dropped in last time where I recognized the version of me that was like somehow excited that somebody else was doing similar work to me and recognizing that there's a version of me that a few years ago, I would almost be changing my name and my business model because there was somebody else that had the same, the same branding or the same theme or something like that. And it was, yeah, it was a powerful realization for me to recognize my journey from the, the traditional, traditional for me, like business is a, is a place of competition where I can never speak to Dale because he's doing courage and he's going to steal my clients or to this place of collaboration where it's like, fuck, we, you said it well. You said, you know, there's, we need more soldiers in the fight. And this has really just been um, amazing to see the, the overlap of our work and, yeah, our, our own unique journeys and how you're bringing your, your gifts to the world. So thank you also for the work you're doing, brother. Appreciate that. So you can find me at uh, at garethpickering.com. That's uh, that's my personal site. All the links are there. And um, calltocourage.live is the entry point for the podcast. Uh, we have a free Telegram group that um, anybody can jump into, and we unpack these types of themes month by month. We're sharing some of the lifestyle design tools that I've spoken about here today inside that community. 
and uh, the Call to Courage podcast, wherever you grab your podcasts. Sweet, man. Well, yeah. So I, we're going to get back on here because I still want to dive into all the fun stuff with you too, all the <laughs> Mount Everest and biking across the... <laughs> If I could, in, 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 in surviving an earthquake. So you got a lot more depth that we got to pick through. So we're going we're gonna to definitely uh, uh, hook up on part two on this because um, I know you got a whole lot more value to share, man. So, and I would love to have you back on to, to explore that as well if you're up for it. So um, always, brother. Thank you. All right. Thank you. We'll talk again soon. Good to see you, Dale. Much love, bro.